So we are in the midst of a month-long campaign that we're calling Above and Beyond. And um, as part of uh, as part of that last week at our big church celebration, if you were there, um, you might remember we gathered um, everyone that we possibly could uh, in one location for one Sunday. And uh, you know, one of the things that we did there, we uh, launched our Wellingborough location uh, and commissioned those guys. But we also launched our new capital campaign uh, that's, that's taking place here in the life of the church. And so over the next few weeks, um, we want to invite everybody. Um, you may have done so already. You may still need to. But to prayerfully consider how you might contribute financially to this next season in the life of the church. How you might uh, contribute to what's uh, ahead of us. Um, the first fruits of everything that we have come in is going towards the launch of our Wellingborough location, uh, and the rest of it is contributing uh, towards what's going on here at Sheep Street. Um, you know, as we transition uh, as a multi-site church and being a church in multiple locations, this place here is not just about gathering for worship on a Sunday morning, but actually this place becomes a little bit of a hub uh, for this kind of network of churches that we hope to plant. And so, um, uh, this, this building becomes a vital part of the whole thing that we're, we're doing. Um, uh, the, other, the other reality is, is that we, want, we believe this, God has given this place to help us raise up and equip leaders. And so one of the things, you know, we want to create a training environment here. And of course, we want to continue this place to be a place of justice and compassion, where uh, as many as possible can come and... Um, uh, receive hope and freedom and transformation. So that's uh, the, the journey that we're on. And so you may have already given um, electronically during the week. Um, you may have um, still need to consider what God is prompting you to give. Um, but however you want to do that, you can do that um, over the next couple of Sundays. And then hopefully we can um, begin to move things on with the different various projects that are taking place in the life of the church. Um, if you wasn't around last week, then do stop by um, out on the lobby because we have some brochures there which tell you a little bit more about this campaign that we're on um, and also you can see some of the designs that we've had put together. Okay, so this morning we're continuing this theme above and beyond and uh, we're exploring how we go above and beyond with the love of God in the various towns and villages and communities that God has called us to inhabit? How do we begin to reach into uh, our neighbourhoods, the communities that we represent? And really, um, that's the question we're asking. What does it mean for us to be agents of God's love and grace and mercy uh, in those everyday places? So in some way... This morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about a dirty word uh, uh, in church, uh, a dirty word um, in um, Christian vocabulary, uh, and, and, and that word's evangelism. Um, I don't know if you would agree, that's a little bit of a dirty word. It's a, it's a word loaded um, with preconceptions, uh, that we have lots of thoughts about that word evangelism. Uh, I came across one definition, it says this, a zealous zealous advocacy or support for a particular cause, and with the emphasis being on zealous. And uh, and so so just a rhetorical question, how many of us have been evangelized? Um, Been evangelized by a Christian? Uh, 
Um, it's pain. You may, you may have had the pain of that, um, been evangelized by someone of another faith, um, maybe a particular cause, someone who's committed to a particular brand of technology. Um, you know, you may have, um, you may have been evangelized uh, in different ways. I think most of us have experienced evangelism, haven't we? We've experienced what evangelism is like. And I imagine our experience um, kind of has some different feelings. But primarily, it feels a bit negative, if we're, if we're honest. We can be honest in church, you know, but, uh, and primarily it has in the past perhaps felt a bit negative. One person said this, said Christians uh, and non-Christians have one thing in common, they both hate evangelism. Um, so, um, and so maybe like me, when you hear that word, you start to cringe a little inside. And you start to think, oh no, he's talking about evangelism. I guess, I guess the next on the row would be money uh, in church, but uh, evangelism, he's talking about evan- evangelism. And so we have this sense of maybe guilt, like, oh, I know I should but I don't. Or we have a sense of shame where, you know, we're kind of like, oh, I just don't know how to do this. You know, Jesus said, if I'm, if I'm not prepared to speak for him, then, then if I'm ashamed of him, he's ashamed of me. He's rejected me. And, you know, and so we have all these kinds of feelings when we think about evangelism. And so when we approach evangelism as a church, I think there's one of three ways that we can do this. We can approach it as a shark, a carp, or a dolphin. Okay? A shark, a carp, or a dolphin. You're going to get a lesson in, in, in fish, marineology this morning. <laughs> um, but sharks, you know, they don't just live life, they attack life. Um, sharks are aggressive by nature, quite controlling, and, 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 and the behavior of a shark often creates trauma. Um, um, if you was to apply um, the traits of a shark to a person, particularly in the way we're thinking about it this morning, you would think, you might think a pushy used car salesman. Okay? That's, that's what you might think. And actually, most of us and most of our negative thoughts about evangelism fall under this shark mentality. You know, a shark is very much like, I'm going after my prey, and I don't care what I do to get there. Often sharks are deeply sincere, Jesus-loving people, uh, and they, they have, but at the same time, they have this ability uh, to take the most life-transforming message and totally alienate people in the process. I don't know if you've met a shark, if you're not sure then um, you might be one. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. And, and often, um, the shark approach to evangelism is about confrontation. It's about winning an argument. It's about being top dog. What about the carp? In contrast, it's a th- fairly lethargic uh, creature. Uh, they see themselves as life's victims. They They're too weak to ever make a difference. Carps don't make things happen. They watch things happen. Uh, And when we apply a carp mentality to evangelism, we we end up seeing evangelism as someone else's job to do. 
You know, someone else will do this. I don't need to do this. And so instead of being confrontational, a carp is is kind of passive. Someone else will do it. I I don't need to take responsibility for this because I know someone else will. And then on the other hand, we have a dolphin. Um, What was that dolphin called? Flipper, was it? Flipper. We have Flipper. And, um, And a dolphin is like the perfect combination of the two. Uh, they have the strength of a shark. They, they function with a high sense of purpose. Uh, uh, whereas sh- sharks take too much responsibility and carps take very little responsibility, uh, a dolphin doesn't um, pursue his own interests but works um, for the collective good of others. Dolphins have this ability to hold the truth and speak the truth and win people's hearts in the process. And I want to make a case this morning uh, is that if we're going to lean into this thing we call evangelism, then being a dolphin could be the way to go. You didn't think you'd come to church and be encouraged to become a dolphin. I don't know if I, can anybody make a dolphin sound? I, I can't. I tried earlier and it ended badly. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> but what if every single one of us could create a platform where we could share the thing most important to us? And in, in this case, Jesus being the most important thing to us without alienating the world around us in the process and more importantly without misrepresenting the one we want to share the one we want to reveal when we when we look at the life of Jesus we we see someone who is really attractive um, people were attracted to Jesus people loved to be around Jesus and um, and 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 people, um, they love to be around Jesus. And, and Jesus had this willingness to create a platform that captivated people's hearts and, and left them wanting more. You know, when you think about the person of Jesus and, and the way he interacted with people, the crowds flocked to him. And so I think we can take this dolphin approach um, when we understand the role we have to play. You know, one of the the realities of the season that we're in is that as we give people away to launch these new locations, one of the realities is that uh, we need to get some more people. Um, and, And, you know, there's more people out there who don't know Jesus. And so what does it look like for us to be a winsome people, a people who really engage with the world around us? You see, evangelism is easy when we realise the part that we have to play. Often when we engage in evangelism, often uh, we, we get into thinking that we need to win. That's the kind of thought that we bring in. And, 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 and um, that's when the sharkiness kicks in. Uh, and, you know, we even have vocabulary for it, don't we? We're going we're gonna to go and win souls. We're going to go and win the lost. And of course, I understand what that means. But sometimes it puts the wrong emphasis on on what we're doing. 
But how did Jesus operate? How did Jesus go about ministering um, and to seek and seeking and looking for that that was lost? How did Jesus operate? How did he see things? Because I think he saw things a little bit differently. See, he saw people through the eyes of the kingdom of God. Jesus was committed to seeing the kingdom extended to the least, the last, and the lost. He, he was about setting the captives free. He was about releasing the oppressed, bringing hope to those who were in despair. Jesus, his primary message and his primary ministry was the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is here. The rule of God is here. And so he saw things through the lens of his kingdom. He also saw people uh, through the eyes of mercy. He continued to meet the needs of those around him. He continually to move, was moved with compassion and mercy and love. The scriptures tell us don't they, that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. But the problem is, a lot of our thoughts about evangelism is the primary message is judgment. You know, the primary message is judgment, and we, we love to tell people how wrong they are. And, and, and so we start from a place of judgment. This is how bad you are, and let me tell you why. But Jesus saw people through the eyes of mercy. Jesus saw people through the eyes of simplicity. Jesus did nothing for religious effect. Jesus um, operated on a naturally supernatural manner, not height, not varnished, just real, just a real person sharing the love of God. And he saw people through the eyes of his culture. Jesus had this ability to speak the cultural language of his days so people could understand his message. I wonder what life would be like if we were to live by those rules. Maybe the task of evangelism would feel a little bit different. What if our job was to simply step out and bring God's kingdom into situations, to to seek mercy, to keep things as simple as we possibly can and to help people understand If we could operate at that kind of level, I, I don't think um, any of us would necessarily disqualify ourselves from what it means to tell others about Jesus. What if we began to really realise that our job isn't to save people? That's what Jesus does. Jesus is the saviour. What if we realise our job is to simply pay our part and allow God to do the rest. So in a minute, I want to talk a little bit about some fun ways that we think in this next season we can engage with that and make this evangelism thing less about saving people and more about loving people um, in a way that God might breathe upon normal people like you and me and draw people to himself. But before we do that, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 8, And we're going to start in verse 4 of Luke chapter 8. 
and I've got 10 minutes. Um, and this is Jesus speaking um, in some famous words. It says, whilst a large crowd was gathering and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Jesus told this story to kind of explain what the kingdom is like. And he said this. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among, among the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered, because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up uh, with it and choked the plants. Still others uh, seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than that was sown. When he saw this, he called out, whoever has ears uh, to hear, let them hear. And so Jesus tells this story of seeds being sown in a field. And, and, and like most of the time, Jesus told a story, a parable. And sometimes people are a little bit like, what, what do you mean, Jesus? And, and on this occasion, the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, great story, as always. But what do you mean? And so Jesus explains this parable to his disciples, jumping to verse 11. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And the devil comes and takes away the word from the hearts so that they may not believe or be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy uh, when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that falls among thorns uh, stands for those who hear, but as, as they go on their way, uh, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on, on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Many of us are familiar with this parable. And, um, you know, we, we can look at it in lots of different ways. But the question I ask myself is, what is happening here? What, what is the outcome? See, um, the thing is, that it, the thing that really sticks out to me is that 75% of the seed sown for the kingdom goes nowhere. It's wasted. It's fruitless. Only 25% of the seed bears any kind of fruit. But that fruit produces a crop, it says that's a hundred times more than was sown. And you see, this parable kind of flies in the face of how we see things at times. I think sometimes we hold onto our seed in our hands and we hold as tightly as we can, and we wait for the right conditions, and we wait for the right soil, and we wait for the right moment, and then we think, okay, everything's in place, I'm going to plant my seed. Believing that that's the most successful thing that we can do. And in many ways, that's logical if the resources are limited. Makes sense, doesn't it? If the resources are limited, you want to get the seed planted right first time. 
But here's the thing, the resources aren't limited. Heaven doesn't run out of seed for us to sow. We can sow extravagantly. We can sow in a kind of carefree kind of way, and there will still be more seed to sow. The sower in this story sows his seeds liberally. And you remember, the, the job of the one who sows seed is to, is to sow. It's not to harvest. We can get caught up in numbers, can't we? We can get, up, get caught up in, in the harvest, the salvations. How many people said yes? And that can definitely be a sign of God at work. Of course it is. But what if the first job is to simply sow seed? It's to simply begin to sow seeds. If we could get a vision for that, I think we might become more carefree. And, and maybe it would also allow room for God to come and do his thing. As we are more free to do our thing, which is to sow seeds. So how do we sow seeds? How do we begin to sow these seeds? As I said last week, there are probably around 900,000 people in our county um, uh, in this region who do not know Jesus. And, and we believe that he's keen to know some of them, that he would like to know some of them. And how could we begin to sow seeds in the field that God's given us? We believe God is calling us to our county. How do we begin to sow seeds in that field? Where might we start? In light of everything I've already said, what might be a good starting point? And so the challenge we want to give today, and Tom is giving the same message in Wellingborough, but the challenge that we want to give today is, is what would it look like for us to start sowing seeds through simple acts of kindness, love, and mercy, and compassion to thousands upon thousands of people who live in this county. And maybe, maybe something like that could start on our street. Maybe it could start in our neighborhood, in our workplace, at the school gates. But what if we was to attempt to plant seeds through some simple acts of, of kindness and love to simply demonstrate something of God's love, knowing that potentially some of those seeds could open doors to someone's heart are just, just, just wide enough for God to come and do something? What if, as people, we collectively postured ourselves uh, in, in a way uh, as servants, not as saviours, but as servants, and if we, we postured ourselves as servants and we, and we bent down and we began to wash the feet of our county, what would that look like? If we began to wash the feet of our region with kindness and compassion and love. And some of you might be thinking, so the big idea, Steve, is that you want us to go and be nice. Kind of. It's helpful to be nice, but it's actually much more than that. 
actually what we're trying to do is demonstrate something of the kingdom. And by demonstrating the kindness of God, by offering to do things through hacks of humble service and compassion and love, with no strings attached, we think we can do something significant. And see, what we're proposing is that as we spread out across our county over various towns and streets and neighbourhoods and campuses and workplaces, as we spread out with simple acts of love and compassion, maybe at the very least we'll put a smile on someone's face and surprise them with kindness. And and like the seed in the parable, maybe 75% of the time it's just a random act of kindness. It's, It's an expression of love. Maybe that's all it is. But what if we did it enough time that 25% of the time, that seed began to unlock something in people's hearts. That, that through our compassion, through our love, through our acts of kindness, that we would see hearts and pain be unlocked in people's lives. That God would begin to move into people's hearts as, as we open the door through compassion and love. I was reminded recently of some stories uh, that I read in a book quite some time ago now, but of a, of a particular church that kind of postured itself in this way. And one evening, a bunch of people from this church uh, spent their time in a, in a restaurant bathroom, offering people free cologne and posh-smelling stuff, um, fragrances and stuff like that. Some people said yes, some people said no. Um, and uh, on this, one, this one man came in, um, and he was a little bit worse for wear, and uh, it turns out he was a doctor. Um, and, um, and, and despite his status, his life was a mess. And as these people offered this random act of kindness, he began to break down. And he began to weep and just pour out his heart to these people in the toilet. And... Um, and these guys had the opportunity to, to pray for this broken man. There was no sharks in the room. There was no confrontation. But they had the opportunity. And what was the tool that unlocked this man's heart? It was a little bit of aftershave in a restaurant toilet. Sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? It sounds stupid. It sounds like that's a silly thing. Why would God use that? Another story I heard from a, a church in Bedford uh, more recently um, uh, was a, a member of the church was filling a car up with petrol and she went to pay. And as she paid, she was prompted just to write the cashier a note. And it said this. It said, thanks for your great service. You really made my day. If you need anything, here's my number. I'd love to take you out for coffee. A couple of weeks later... The cashier replied, and she's been over to this lady's house for dinner a few times. She's now taking part in the Alpha course. How did this start? It started with a simple note prompted by God to say, thank you. If you need anything, here I am. And and because of that, this cashier is now on an Alpha course hearing about Jesus simply because a simple note of kindness was passed to her. 
So what are we thinking? What are we suggesting? Well, we've had um, a thousand of these little circle coins, tokens, printed. Um, They're out in the lobby. Uh, You can get one on your way out. And it simply says on it, love, love and N. I think we've got a slide. Keep going. It simply says, love and N. And then on the reverse, there's a web address. It says, share your story. And um, love and N, it it stands for our county. It's our postcode for the county, NN, if you didn't know. Um, We've also developed a, a website, which looks a little bit like this. Uh, and this website um, is hopefully it makes sense to those who don't know Jesus. Um, uh, when, when they read it, we've tried to avoid lots of Christianese. Uh, at the bottom of the page, there's a, just a little explanation about Jesus' love, why we're doing this. Uh, and if you would like to come to church, then come. We're going to be partnering with the Davantry Vineyard, who are going to be launching this in October as well. Um, and our, our hope is that we can start a movement, a movement of kindness and compassion, that, um, that, that somehow we would begin to saturate our county. You know, as God pushes us out over our county to plant sites and new locations, that we would be people who saturate that county with kindness. Uh, the other thing um, that you'll see on that coin, it says, um, pay it forward. Uh, and, and really, this is, this is an idea that uh, this is a kingdom thing. It isn't just about doing a church project, okay? It's not like, oh, we're going to do this for a couple of months, and then, you know, we'll pat ourselves on the back and everything will be fine. Um, but actually, we want this to be part of our culture. Uh, and, and the way things become part of our culture is, is that we, we begin to do them, and we begin to speak about them, and we begin to tell stories. But that, this pay-it-forward concept is just that, if a recipient of your kindness wants to go and do the same, we would love them to do that. You know, we would love them to pass on the kindness. That somehow we would start a kind of kindness revolution. And, and, and so the idea of this coin is to take it. We don't want the coin to be restrictive. You know, if you've got the opportunity to be kind or show mercy or compassion or speak life into somebody and you haven't got a coin, don't think, oh, I can't do it then. Okay? <laughs> um, you know, of course you can. But the idea of this is just the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, I, wish, I want to show you this kindness and love. Why don't you check out this website? You know, that, that's all this coin does. It's, there's nothing more, uh, nothing less. And, um, and, and so, but we think you could approach this in a few different ways or a few different styles uh, of coin, kindness that you might... Uh, want to try out. First of all, you could be a ninja, okay? So you could, um, you could do some secret random acts of kindness where you don't reveal your identity, okay? It doesn't mean you have to dress like a ninja. Um, I mean, maybe you could stick like a, a gift voucher in an envelope with a coin on a colleague's desk. Just leave it on their desk. They don't know it's you. They don't know where it's come from. Um, maybe you could leave a double tip um, and not complain in a restaurant with a coin. Um, maybe you could um, pay for the person behind you in the coffee drive-thru. Um, so, that, you know, you could just do a kind of undercover secret acts of kindness. That's one way you could approach this. Or you could be a hero. Um, 
and you can wear a Batman mask, uh, stepping, stepping out and making a difference, offering people you see in need help. Maybe that's the elderly and shut-ins, maybe it's homeless, maybe it's uh, parents, maybe it's students. Uh, look for ways to help people out by lending a hand. Volunteer your service without reward or recognition. So maybe that's a way that you could approach this. Or thirdly, you could be an amigo. Um, you could be a friend. You know, put your neighbor's bins out, offer to cut their grass, take someone out for lunch, whatever it might be. Be, be friendly. You know, I don't know if you've noticed something about Jesus, but who thinks he was friendly? He was, he was a friendly guy, wasn't he? People were, loved to be friends with Jesus, particularly all the wrong people. Um, and then lastly, you could be a boss. Um, maybe you're someone who owns a business. Uh, maybe you could give a discount on an invoice. Some of you are thinking, no. Um, others, or maybe you could offer an element of your work for free. Um, if you've got staff, maybe you can do something to demonstrate kindness uh, to the staff that you have responsibility for. Maybe you're not a boss, but you work in the real world. Maybe you're a teacher or something like that. Why don't you bake a cake and stick it in the staff room or something? I don't know. <laughs> But there's lots of ways. The, the limit to what was suggested is your own creativity. Okay? But what would it look like for a whole army of people to do this? And then what we would love to do is share the stories. Not to give ourselves a pat on the back. Um, but we'd love to share the stories anonymously. Um, because we think when we share stories, we create culture. Um, and so you'll see on the website there's a... There's a feed of um, different kindness things that have happened already. You'll see just a few examples of what's happened. Um, and so as we begin to plant seeds across our county, what would it look like for a whole bunch of people to live this kind of way? We think it could possibly have an impact on the 25%. 75% of the time, it might not come to anything. Someone might think, oh, that's nice, a bit weird. But that's nice. But 25% of the time, according to Jesus' parable, could bear fruit. And could bear fruit a hundred times. So this isn't an event, okay? We're not doing this for the next 40 days. We're just doing this. And it might be that one day the coins run out and we don't need them, okay? Because enough of this, of a culture of wanting to make an impact on the lives around us is in us. So we just do it. It's just who we are. It's our first response. It's the way we respond. And so um, feel free, on your way out, grab some of these. I suggest you just grab a couple. You know, you don't need to grab a load. Um, and um, think of ways that you can be that kind of person who plants seeds, sows seeds, wherever you inhabit, the places you inhabit. Think about how you could do that uh, in the coming weeks and months. And we would love to share those stories uh, and for you to be part of that.